0: Well, good morning once again. Good morning to you who are visiting with us online. We have a whole slew of people who are camping this weekend, and I know they're watching right now. (laughs) Not sleeping in or anything. (sighs) Happy Labor Day. Anybody ever been in labor? (laughs) It's not that though, right? (laughs) Every day. (laughs) Uh, Well, we're going to dive into our new series this morning, The Relational Jesus. And when I say dive in, suit up. (laughs) If you've got your Bible, start that thing up because we're going deep this morning. Overarching scripture for this series is Mark twelve twenty nine through 31. Jesus replied, the most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. So, according to Jesus, that the starting point of everything in our lives is the love relationship that we have with God, our Father. And then, second and equally important, is the love that we have for ourselves that we share with the people around us. I don't know about you. First off, let me let me make sure you catch this. There, there's a, a a really super important dynamic hidden in that verse. Our love relationship with ourselves is equally as important as our relationship with God. That's a hard one. That's a hard one. That's that's a hard one for me. I don't know about you. It doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel... There's something about it. And and the reason that it doesn't feel right, maybe for some of you too, is because we know who we are, right? You see, God is, is deserving of our love. Don't have a problem with that. Might not be very good at it, but I have no issue with it. But when Jesus, you know, when you do the math in that formula that he's just given us, and he says it's equally as important to love yourself as it is to love God, I struggle with that. Because I know who I am. And, and I don't think it's that we feel like we're really bad people, do we? Most of us. But we're not perfect. We're far from perfect, right? There's a lot of bad thoughts. There's a lot of bad attitudes. There's a lot of stuff that goes on in every one of our lives. And, and, and that stuff kind of gets in the way sometimes. And we don't like that about ourselves. So this, this loving the self becomes a challenge. And the problem with that, from, you know, from what Jesus has said there, if we have a struggle with this loving ourselves, then we have a struggle with loving others. That's why we live in the world we live in. We live in a broken world, don't we? There's a lot of evil. There's a lot of suffering on all levels. That's why we can't get along with our neighbors sometimes. It's why... Sometimes in our homes, we do things that we shouldn't do. We get angry and we act out with people. It's why we have road rage. It's why if you post a video on YouTube, you can expect hurtful comments. It's why we can't get along with that person in the other cubicle or the neighbor that doesn't cut their grass on time. I sincerely believe that if we could get a handle on this loving ourselves, we'd be in a a far better world than the world we're in. It's important. So how do we get this love thing right? You know what I love about the Bible? I read it all the time, as you would hope. I, I sincerely don't think there isn't A question that you could ask that you can't find the answer to in there if you look deep enough. And this question of love, 1 John 4, 17 through 19, like I said, start your Bibles up. We've got a lot of scripture this morning. Is a great tells us. It says, and as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So the closer we draw to God. To the point where we live in him, then our love gets better because God is love, right? And if you're living in God, then you're living in love. And so we get better at love and more perfect. Sin separates us from God. But the closer we are to God, the, more, the less sin there is in our lives because we, we don't like it. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face him with confidence Because we live like Jesus here in this world. This is why we're studying the relational Jesus. So that we can relate to one another, that we can love on one another the way Jesus relates to us, the way Jesus loves us. And it's a perfect love. Verse 18 says, such love has no fear. Because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. We love each other because he first loved us. So again, our capacity to love comes from Christ. It begins with God, it ends with God. Christ loves us enough to accept us as we are, but he loves us enough not to leave us as we are which is a good thing, right? Anybody want to be the same in 10 years as they are now? I want to be a better me. I want to be a better me tomorrow than I am today. That's a hard thing. I mean, I'm pretty good. No. (laughs) Humility is the big one for me. I just love humility. (laughs) But we are all in this process of transformation. And when it comes to loving ourselves, this is important. We have to begin to love ourselves the, the way that, that, that Jesus is changing us to be. You see, I don't love me for who I am. I love me for who he is making me to be, who I am becoming. And if I can love the person who I am becoming, then I can love the people that you are becoming because he's not done with you either, right? This, this kind of works together. This is why the Bible says that we're to bear with one another, Because if you're waiting to get to that place where the only people that you really love are the perfect ones, the ones that are never going to let you down, the ones that are never going to upset you, the ones that are never going to do something wrong, there's none available. This is it. So if I can love myself that way for who I am becoming, then I can love you for who you are becoming. Does that make sense? All right, that's got nothing to do with this morning's sermon. (laughs) But it does. It's the foundation. It's the foundation of this relational thing with Jesus. Jesus said this is the most important relationship. Equally as important is this one and this. So, if you've got your Bible open, it'll be up on the screen. The actual passage of scripture we're doing this morning is Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 13. I've been reading this passage of scripture for a couple of months. Mm-hmm. And uh, gosh, <laughs> I'm still reading it. It says, Once Jesus was in a certain place praying. A certain place praying. Now, I don't mean, I don't know, my small group is we're doing Luke as well. So we've talked about this. And for me, when I see that Jesus was in a certain place, the very fact that Luke would write that in there, rather than just saying Jesus was praying, it's almost as though there's a place that Jesus went to to pray. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, and I've shared this before, it helps me in my prayer life sometimes. You can pray anywhere you want but sometimes it helps me in my prayer life to have special places that I consider places that I go to to pray. There's a couple of them out at the lake, out at Hidden Cove on the trails. I'll go there and I'll stop and I'll set up my chair. It's a prayer spot. Jesus is meeting me right here. And I love, I love it because Jesus did so many so much teaching on the sh- on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. And I'm sitting there on the edge of the lake and I You know, it's like, man, Jesus is right here. This is a spot right here for me. Meeting places with Jesus. So Jesus was in a certain place. It says, as he finished, one of his disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. So I'm 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 picturing this. Jesus is praying. But his disciples must have been close by. They can hear him. They're listening to him praying. And he's praying in such a manner that when he's done praying, one of the disciples is thinking, man, I want to pray like that. Have you ever been with someone that just seems to have that, that prayer thing? Mo Kinsley is one of those people. I love it when Mo prays. It's just, it's not big flowery prayers. You know, you get those people sometimes. It's like, please stop. It's just lunch. (laughs) Say, thank you for the food and get on with it, you know? (laughs) But there are some people, they just have this, it it just seems there's an intimacy and, and a genuineness about their prayers and their meaningful prayers, and Mo is always that way. When he prays, when we come over here and we pray before the service, I love listening to Mo pray. It's right there, and it's solid. I'm thinking that they're listening to Jesus and, 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 hey, Jesus, we want that. Can we have that? Now, here's the weird thing. Jesus has already taught his disciples how to pray. So if you go to Matthew chapter 6, where you see the traditional Lord's Prayer that we learn, we're going to look at the Lord's Prayer from Luke here. It's a little different than the traditional one. That was prior to this. So Jesus has already taught his disciples how to pray. Now, I don't know what happened to this disciple, whether he wasn't listening, or maybe he wasn't, maybe he became a disciple after that teaching, or who knows? Maybe he was, the crowd was big and he was further out in the crowd or something he couldn't really hear. But what I love is how patient Jesus is with him. He doesn't do the whole, I already told you that, Man, you never listen. When are you ever going to listen? See, one of the things with the relational Jesus that I love about Jesus, he is so patient with people who want to learn. He's not very patient with the Pharisees who just want to trip him up, but to the ordinary person, he shows infinite patience. So he doesn't mention any of that stuff. He doesn't say to this guy, like, really? Seriously? We did this already? You didn't... Like I told you once, go talk to the other guys. They know none of that stuff. He just gets right into the prayer. Now, like I say, this is an abbreviated teaching of the pattern for prayer that Jesus gives us in Matthew 6. But I have a reason for choosing this one in Luke, and we'll get there in a minute. Jesus said, this is how you should pray. Father, may your name be kept holy. I talked about this last week a little bit. There is this juxtaposition between father, Abba, Daddy, this relational God. You know that, that don't, you want to give, give me a hug, God. You ever need a hug from God? Sometimes you need a hug, don't you? God is good. I know. Whenever I need, when He reaches down, He gives me a hug, and it's like, thank you. I needed that. But there's this juxtaposition between that. And may your name be kept holy. You are God. You are Yahweh. You are the creator of all things. You are above all things. All things hold together in your hand. That's who we're talking to when we pray. Now, God had many names to the Jewish people. His name was so holy, though, they would not utter it. They wouldn't even write it. They leave kind of a gap, and everybody knew what went in there. God's name. Yahweh. I am. That's who God is. I am existence. And all these names they had were, were, were kind of a reflection of his holy character. El Elyon means most high God. God who is above everything. Jehovah Jireh means Lord is our provider. Jehovah Rophe means the Lord is our healer. El Shaddai means God Almighty. And there are many other names for God. Alpha, Omega, Savior, Shepherd, Father, King, Judge. And to keep his name holy, may your name be kept holy, is to keep him holy. It's not just the name. It doesn't mean, don't use God's name as a cuss word. That's definitely a part of it. But it's to keep him holy. He is God. He is set apart. He is different. He is almighty. He is worthy of all praise, all glory, and all honor. And at the same time, he is Abba Daddy. It's just an incredible balance to to get that in the right place. And we struggle with this, I believe. Because I see some people who, their view of God is the big teddy bear in the sky. Like they're a spoiled child, and they've got God wrapped around their finger. And I gotta live like, I want yeah, a little bit of sin here and there. <laughs> yeah, he loves me. And then there, there are some people who see him as the great slot machine in the sky. If I pull the lever, ching I get what I want. And The only time they ever converse with God is when they need something, when they want something. Otherwise, God never hears from them, never sees them. And then on the other side of things, I know people who see God as this overbearing, harsh, graceless judge who's just waiting for them to mess up so he can punish them and load it on them. That's an unhealthy fear of God. There's a healthy fear of God. That is when we hold him as Yahweh the Almighty, worthy of praise, glory, and honor, and yet at the same time, my loving Father. It's a wonderful thing if you can get it, if you can get it. Jesus continues, may your kingdom come soon. Now, remember, this is not Jesus praying. He's teaching on prayer. So he's telling us to to ask God that his kingdom would come soon. We live in a messed up world, don't we? I mean, you ever spend some time reading the news? I I don't. (laughs) It's so depressing. It's so horrible. And I think that's why, why... you know, Jesus is saying, you know, ask, ask him that his kingdom would come soon. There's an interesting thing here. So Jesus is God become a man. And there are times in, this, in the Gospels where Jesus knows what people are thinking. They're kind of scary. He's sitting around the table with someone and he knows what they're thinking. That'd be, I, don't, I don't not comfortable with that. How does he know? That's the power of the Holy Spirit working in him. But when Jesus was on earth, he was not all knowing. The disciples came to him one time and said, when's the end times? He said, I don't know. (laughs) Better ask my father. He's the only one that knows. Can we sit at your left and and at your right? I don't think so. You better ask. It's not for me to do that. So he wasn't all knowing in this way. And he's teaching us, ask God. The Father, that His kingdom would come soon. I have mixed feelings about this because I want His kingdom to come soon. I want there to be an end of suffering, but I know so many people who do not know Jesus Christ, I want Him to hold off for a little bit. Could you just wait a couple of years, maybe? <laughs> Give us each day the food we need. I could go into this, but I'm not going to. That's a slightly different version than the one in Matthew that says, give us today the food we need. And there's a little bit of the Greek in here that's fascinating. I'm not going to get into it, but it's this idea of ongoing sustenance. Give us this day. I'm going to trust you for today's food. Hope you give me tomorrow's. Whereas this, take care of us, God. Give us each day the food we need. And forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. I'm very lucky because that's not in my Bible, so I don't need to worry about that. But it's probably in your Bible, so you should be scared. (laughs) I erased it. I scratched it. The whole of the teaching in Matthew is based around that phrase right there. When he teaches this in Matthew, he's teaching on forgiveness and grace. He comes at it from a different angle in here. But let me ask you a question. How graceful are you? Because it matters. Grace means unmerited favor. Grace is when you don't hold people's shortcomings against them, even if you could and should. We all need grace, don't we? And we will be apportioned grace in the manner that we give grace. That's a a scary one right here. And he finishes up, and don't let us yield to temptation. Now, that might seem like a a nice, easy little thing. That's a big deal. When we ask God to keep us from temptation, how do you think he's going to do that? Do you think he's going to take everything out of your life that might tempt you? I don't think so. But he might bring you to a place in your life where you'd rather not choose that. Because last time you chose it, it didn't go so well. And I really think that when we ask that of God, please bring me to this place where I don't yield to temptation, he's going to say, okay, when you do... I'll mess things up so bad for you that next time you go down that road, you're going to say, Uh, ain't going there. Don't want that, Father. We like this idea of a big teddy bear, no, no, going over there. I got this image of God with a two by four in his hand sometimes saying, really? <laughs> no, I'm good. Now, this is the part that I want to get into. Then teaching them more about prayer, he used this story. Suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight wanting to borrow three loaves of bread. You say to him, a friend of mine's just arrived for a visit and I've got nothing for him to eat. And suppose he calls out from his bedroom, don't bother me. The door's locked for the night and my family and I are in bed. I can't help you. Maybe come back in the morning. But I tell you this. Though he won't do it for friendship's sake, if you keep knocking long enough, he will get up and give you whatever you need because of your shameless persistence. This is one of the most confounding teachings of Jesus. I mean, what is he teaching? That we should annoy God? That we should get on God's nerves? (laughs) Pesker him to the point where he'll just give in? That's exactly what he's teaching. I mean, if someone comes to your door in the middle of the night, it's free in the morning, and they start knocking on your door because they want bread, what are you going to (laughs) do? Tell them to go away. (laughs) Shut up. Get out of here. Come back in the morning. Leave me alone. And they don't. They keep knocking. What do you do? <laughs> We're in Texas. I know what you all do. <laughs> Lock and load. <laughs> it's like, seriously? But here's the thing, though. Look at Jesus' wording. This is such a wonderful thing that he's teaching on. It's immensely relational. He uses the term friend. This is so important. He uses the term friend. This isn't just a neighbor. This isn't just somebody walking down the street. This isn't some random person. This is your friend who comes to the door. It makes all the difference, doesn't it? If one of you came and knocked on my door at 3 a.m., I'm not giving you anything. <laughs> now, if your friend comes at three a.m. in the morning, the chances are you're going to think, "Oh, this is important." And if he keeps knocking, you see, I love what Jesus is teaching here. When it comes to calling on God, you are not a bothersome neighbor. You're not a bothersome stranger. You're a friend. You're his friend. This is Abba, Father, Daddy. You are someone that the homeowner knows by name. And then he takes it deeper. He says, so I tell you, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be opened to you. I mean, look at what Jesus is teaching. He's saying, your father loves you. He wants to pour out his blessings upon you. He is your God. He is your father. He loves you. Keep on asking. Be persistent and you will receive what you ask for. Keep seeking, and you will find. Keep on knocking, and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. What an incredible teaching. So I have a question for you this morning. I had a question for you last week. I've got a question for you this morning to ponder. It's our question of the week. If you could ask God for anything, right now, and you knew that God would give it to you, what would you ask him for? Now rest at ease, I'm not going to come down and pester you like I did last week. But if you could ask God for anything, and you knew that he would answer that prayer right now, that you would get what you ask for, what would you ask for? It's an interesting one, isn't it? I've been struggling with this for weeks. Coming in here and praying. God, if, if, if you were going to give me whatever I ask for right now, what should I ask for? What's the right thing to ask for? I pray about a lot of things. And I don't think they're frivolous prayers. I mean, I, I pray for myself that I would be obedient. I pray that I would be a man of prayer. I pray that God would give me wisdom to, to see and deep understanding of His Word. I pray for the words that I speak to you if we meet one on one. I pray for the words that I speak up here. I ask God to guide me in those things. Give me wisdom in those things. Soften my heart, Father. <laughs> I pray for my children and their spouses. And my grandchildren, that they would be happy, that they would have love in their homes, that they would love one another and love others. And I pray that they will be warriors in God's kingdom. I pray for my family in England, and Sanders' family that they would all come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. And I know that's a high order, but I pray for it. God, that would take a mighty movement of your Holy Spirit. I pray for specific individuals I know that they would receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. I pray for the sick. I pray for the hurting. I pray for you all. But this idea of persistently asking for something has me perplexed. If there were one thing, what would that one thing be? I asked my wife this morning. We were out for a walk. This is what I'm going to ask everybody. And she said, ooh, world peace. And it was interesting, the conversation that we had around that. Because she knows people that are not saved. Close people. If you could ask God for anything, and you knew he would answer right now, what would you ask him for? Ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open. So the question begs to be asked. If We're going to get real about this relationship with Jesus. Why don't I get what I asked for? Especially when I ask for good things that fit with what I believe is God's will. Kingdom things. Why don't I get what I ask for? Is God just a big killjoy? A big tease? There's a danger. When we don't fully understand what Jesus is teaching, a scripture that is actually designed to draw us to prayer can be the very scripture that sends us away from prayer. Because if he says, ask and it will be given, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened, and it isn't. I don't get, I don't find, the door is not open. Why pray? Like I said, the answer is always in there. Jesus continues on. He says, you fathers... If your children ask for fish, do you give them a snake? Or if they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. So if you, sinful people, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Do you know how to give good gifts? gift giving is a dangerous and it's it's difficult isn't it i mean it's a tricky endeavor and the closer you are to a person the more tricky it gets and and honestly the older the person is the more difficult it gets cuz they have everything we're always struggling you know what do we give sanders that oh, I don't know. oh. Just so you know, it was my birthday last week. You all missed it, didn't you? Missed your own pastor's birth. Pardon? I, I missed yours. Not the point. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> we made a donation in your name. <laughs> it doesn't bother me. Anyway. <laughs> Sandra and I have got to the point where pretty much... We don't give each other stuff for our birthdays anymore. <laughs> it's kind of like, yeah, give me a card and say, I love you. <laughs> we'll go out and eat something and that's about it. But there's all kinds of dynamics. You know, when you give a gift, there are all kinds of dynamics going on, aren't there? I mean, there's the gift you think you, or if you, you're receiving a gift, there's the gift you think you want, right? The one you want them to give you. We all know about that gift. Usually they can't afford it, but there's that one. And then there's the gift you think you need. Probably the one they're actually going to give you. It's not the one I want, but it's the one I need. And then there's the gift they think you want. That's the one that they want to give you. I don't know why she didn't want a Sony PlayStation. But anyway... (laughs) And then there's the gift they think sorry and then there's the gift they think you need the practical one and then there's the good gift that's the gift that is way above your expectations the good gift the absolute best gift for you Now, I don't know what it is. Jesus does a strange thing in this passage of scripture. He talks about asking, seeking, giving, and then he goes into this explanation, which of you fathers, if your son asks for, if your child asks for a fish, would give him a snake and talks about good gifts. And then all of a sudden, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. It's like he takes a 90 degree turn and nobody asks. There's nothing in the scripture. Like if I was one of the guys sitting there, i go, hang on a minute. Weren't, weren't we talking about bread? Lo- loaves of bread? Where-, where did this bit come, Jesus? Nobody asks for an explanation and Jesus doesn't give one here. So if you've got your Bible... I told you, you're going to need to fire up your Bible today. Turn to Romans chapter 8, verses 26 through 28. Now, some of you know the last verse here, but you've got to get the first couple too. It says, and the Holy Spirit, so Jesus has just said, how much more, key word in there, how much more the Father will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we do not know what God wants us to pray for. Okay. That helps. But the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying. For the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. When you and I pray, we think we know what we want. We think we know what we ought to pray for. We think we know what we need. But we don't have a clue. We can't. Because we see and experience this life from this temporal perspective. We don't see what God sees. He he sees the beginning from the end. He sees all things. We don't see all of that. He sees eternity. He sees how everything is tied together. And he knows what is truly important. And we do not. In the big scheme of things, he causes everything to work together for the good of those, plural, who love him and are called according to his purpose for them. It's the butterfly effect, right? When I ask for something, even good things, I have no idea, no clue how it fits together in the big picture. The Lord sees all of that. He knows all of that. His plan is bigger than my plan. His vision is bigger than my vision. When I pray for the things that I pray for, sometimes I'm praying for comfort in my life, comfort in my family's lives. Nothing wrong with that. But he sees a bigger picture. I read something this week. C.S. Lewis wrote a book called Mere Christianity. If you've not read it, you should. And he's, he's got this quote in there. He says, if time is a line on the page, then God is the page. He's so much bigger. And Jesus is teaching something highly relational here. God, Abba, Father, God who loves you like a dad. And God the Father has a higher calling on your life than you could ever imagine. God who cares for you and wants to bless you and yet has a purpose for you that might frighten you or make you uncomfortable or put you in danger or cause you to suffer. Ooh, I don't like that aspect of my Christianity. me read the last part of that passage and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Now when you read that in context with something that he wrote just a little bit further back in Romans 8, two chapters in the Bible that I learned, Romans 12 and Romans 8. To me, the two most important chapters in the Bible. Worth a good deep read. Further back in Romans 8, it says, So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. So this is all talking about this Holy Spirit that Jesus said. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father. For his spirit joins with our spirit, to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share his glory, we must also share his suffering. Anybody up for that? This loops all the way back to the scripture I read at the beginning. 1 John four seventeen, And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment. But we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. How did Jesus live? Scripture says he was a man of sorrows, afflicted in every way. Now, I've got to be honest, this doesn't sound much, like much fun. It's kind of, you know, when I signed up and I prayed this prayer and I asked Jesus to come into my life and I want to be your follower and I want to go your way, you didn't show me this part of the contract. Like, I'm sure this was added later. It's a fine print on the bottom of the contract. It's like, no, 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 no. I want teddy bear God. <laughs> I'm not sure that I want Abba. Sorry holy God, who might say to me, I'm going to send you somewhere. I'm going to ask you to do things that will put you in danger, that will make you uncomfortable, that will challenge you, that will take you out of your comfort zone, because that's my plan for your life. There's only one way that we can live in this broken world, endure its pain and suffering, and fulfill the mission Christ has for us with joy in our hearts. Do you know what you need above all things? What do you think? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. This is why Jesus works his way through this passage of scripture, ask and you will receive, knock and the door will will be opened, seek and you will find. Would any of you fathers give your kids a bad gift when they ask for a good gift? Then your father in heaven who knows what is good for you will give you the Holy Spirit. The greatest gift that you can receive is the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit, active and alive in your life. Now, every single one of us has the Holy Spirit. When you ask Jesus to become your Lord and Savior, you are given the Holy Spirit. That doesn't mean that it's active and alive in your life. It's a mysterious entity, this Holy Spirit. There is no greater gift than the active Holy Spirit in our lives. I mean, who doesn't want to be filled with the fruit of the Spirit? Galatians 5, 23. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Are those not good things? Anybody want some of that? Just me and Sandra? Three of us? Good. free. Three? Yeah, four. We got four. Anybody want some of this? Yeah. yeah? Don't be shy. Ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. Father, I need the power of your Holy Spirit in my life. I need it active and working in my life. The only way that I can deal with this icky life Is with the power of your Holy Spirit. And then I can deal with this life with joy. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. And the Spirit does so much more. Spiritual gifts. It empowers us to do things we can't do. Says it will lead us into all kinds of teaching, lead us into the truth, reminds us of the Lord's teaching. It gives our lives true purpose and direction. It gives us the ability to love, to forgive, and to offer grace. The Holy Spirit gives us the, 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 the strength to endure, the courage to speak the very words we need to speak, and will be manifested with all of that wonderful fruit of the Spirit. All right, it's 12.05. I want to finish up with a quick story here. How the Holy Spirit works sometimes. Years ago, I had a boss. His name was Ken. And um, he was a pretty nice guy up in Canada. Ken and Iris, his wife, they became kind of like surrogate grandparents for our kids. He was a little bit older than me. Iris is a pretty strong Catholic. I've talked about Ken before. Sometimes they watch online. And Ken, I'm not sure really where he was at, but he knew where I was at. I kept that out there. And, and But never really did we have any, you know, deep spiritual conversations. We invited him to the Franklin Graham crusade. They went. And, you know, Franklin Graham gives his invitation for those to come down and Ken's just like, "Mm -hmm, yeah, that's good. It's like, wow, okay. And he'd sometimes come to our church. But I was never, ever really sure where he was at with Jesus. And, you know, he's my boss, even though he's my friend. and, And I'd have conversations, but, you know, there was... There was a reluctance in me to push the conversation too far. I was afraid. And a few years back, we were on vacation up in Michigan, visiting my old pastor. And I get a call from Iris. Ken's in the hospital. Something's gone wrong with his heart, and he's in the hospital, and she called me to pray. So, you know, I pray, and next day I called And when I called, she was at the hospital with Ken, and Ken was awake, and so, you know, they got me on speakerphone, and I'm talking to Ken and telling me about what's going on with his heart and all this stuff. And then the conversation ended. And I, this is is the Holy Spirit, how the Holy Spirit works. I was burdened. I don't know what's going to happen to Kim. What if he dies tonight? What if he dies tomorrow? And God has sent me into his life to be his messenger. And I haven't asked the questions that need to be asked. I've talked about Jesus. I've taken him to see Franklin Graham. There's a little part of me that thinks, I've done everything I need to do, God. And I just felt God nagging me you never ask the questions. You never ask the questions. You never ask the questions. I called my friend Chuck. I had him pray for me. And I'm like, oh, gosh, this is not good. So I thought, what am I going to do here? Uh, I'll call Ken back the next day. So but how do you get into the conversation? So I call Ken. And he answers the phone. He's in the hospital, he's in bed. And again, he's got me on speakerphone and the nurses are there and the iris is there and I'm thinking, oh my gosh. (laughs) I'm on speakerphone. And I was just so uncomfortable. But I felt the Holy Spirit telling me, you need to ask the questions. So I did. I just jumped right in there. I said, Ken, I'm calling for a reason. If you died tonight, would I see you in heaven? And he's like, well, uh, I don't know. I said, we should. And then I shared the gospel with him. And it's difficult when you're sharing the gospel with someone who has some religious belief because they already think they're good to go. And I shared the gospel with him, and I think it was on speakerphone with everybody listening. And then I said, you need to pray this prayer, Ken. Will you pray this prayer with me? And he said, yeah. And I led him in the prayer of salvation. I know he got it. He got better again. And a month or two later, he called me, and another close friend of ours, the guy that was his boss up in Canada, was sick and dying. And Ken calls me, and he says, I knew he got it. It was such a good thing. He says, can you call Ed and tell him that stuff that you told me? Because I want to know that we'll see Ed when he dies. And I didn't know Ed very well, so then I had to call Ed. And that conversation didn't go the direction that I wanted it to go in. I'm not saying that Ed wasn't saved, but I, I don't really know And Ed passed away. So Thursday this week, I got a text from an email from Iris. Ken passed away on Tuesday. Massive heart attack. And he's been a good friend. He came down here. We've been to San Antonio with him a number of times. And I had such a weird feeling on Thursday. My friend is gone. But I know where he's gone. And I know. I will see him again. If you could ask God for one thing, right now, what would you ask him for? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so glad you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You are God Almighty. And you are our Father in heaven. You are the lover of our souls. You are the one who directs and leads us through the power of your Holy Spirit. Father, there is a right answer to that question. Jesus gave it to us. We need the power of the Holy Spirit active and alive in our lives. So that we can be the people you've called us to be. We can do the things you've called us to do. We can have the conversations that you called us to have. And we can be filled with the fruit of the Holy Spirit as we do those things. This is the good gift that you have for us. Father, I pray for each and every one who is here today. I pray for those who are watching online, those who will watch later that you would reach down with your Holy Spirit to each and every one, Father. Open their eyes to you. Open their ears to you. Open their hearts to you. Father, if there's one here who has not asked you to be Lord and Savior of their lives, that today would be the day when they say, I need Jesus. I need forgiveness. Please come into my life and change me. Give me your Holy Spirit. Father, we need a spirit of courage. We need a spirit of urgency. We need a spirit of love, compassion, and grace. We need you. We need your spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen.
1: Mo, Thank you, sir. Test. Okay, we're on. Well, the people that are going to help me with the offering please come up? And I just ask that you guys have a, have a seat for just a second. Y'all are going to have to indulge me a little bit. This morning when I got up, of course I wake up early every day. Y'all can just have a seat. I'm going to talk a couple of minutes. While everyone's filling out their visitor card and uh, their prayer request, I'm up, and Vicky had went to work, and so I thought, well, I'll turn on the TV while I'm drinking my coffee, and Field of Dreams was on. Now, that's probably my most favorite movie of all time, because I can relate to that. Uh, I grew up much like the Kevin Costner did in the movie, but what is so cool about the Holy Spirit is that this morning... One of the main messages in uh, field of dreams is if you could do change anything, you know, in your earlier life, you know, at all, would you do it? You know, and, and he and this ball player asked him, he goes, Well, do you have the power to do that? He goes, I might. And well, he make a long story short, the the young man the, the older man that he was talking to about his younger life. He, he played one inning in a professional ball uh, thing, and he only he didn't get to bat. He said, the one thing I always wish is that I could bat against a pro and that as I'm standing there and he's, he looks at me right before he throws the pitch, I wink at him. So he doesn't know what's going on and what, what I'm thinking. And he goes on to say, you know, he became a doctor. Okay, he goes, well, what if you could go back? Would you want to do that? He said, no. He said, Kevin Costner said, but that's a tragedy. You you can have that thing that you always dreamed about, but you don't want to do it. He goes, no, son. What would have been a tragedy is if I hadn't become a doctor. And there's some catchphrases in that movie that are very good. You know, if you build it, he will come. Okay, think about this in biblical terms. If we build it, he will come. And then he tells him later, he says, go the distance. You know, go as far as you can go. Do the best you can. And then he says, ease his pain. Okay, the whole time Kevin thought he was Kevin Costner thought he was easing the pain of these other ballplayers that they got to come back and play one more time. That he got to do this and then he got to see his father which he was estranged from before he died and he he got to play catch with him. And he said, man, I'm so glad I got to ease his pain and that ballplayer comes and goes, no, it was your pain. Relate that to God. If we build it, He will come, the Holy Spirit. If we go the distance, He'll meet us halfway. And we're not easing our pain. We're easing the Father's pain for what He did for us. Okay, guys, come up. We're going to take the offering. If everybody will stand, we'll go ahead and stand, and we can pass the offering as we do that. Now, I have a few announcements to make but first I'm going to pray and we're going to pass pass the hat let's pray Lord help us to go that distance help us to ease your pain that what you did what you did could never be in vain Lord but we honor you in the way we go about our lives we honor you in the things we give to others we honor you as first in our lives Take this offering, multiply it, use it for those, and use it for your work that you've had planned so far in advance. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, go ahead and pass the hats. i got a few announcements next Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. New time to come to church, y'all. 10.30 a.m. You can remember it because I remember it. I see your America shirt there. Next, it'll be nine eleven so think about it. If that helps you remember it helps me on nine eleven we're going to start a new time, and it's time to be with the Lord at ten thirty. So remember that next weekend on Saturday is a men's breakfast. Please come and enjoy that you know gluten, cholesterol free fat free you know breakfast, right, okay. Ladies, all the ladies are invited, happy birthday, Sisters of Lakeway. When? Sunday, September 25th. There's going to be, they're going to honor this quarter. Isn't that how it works? Somebody help me out. It's this quarter's, all the ladies that's had birthdays are going to honor you. So be sure and attend that. And there's a Tuesday night women's Bible study in Revelation. Revelation. if you want to find out about that, you can't ask her today, but you can ask Kayla. Kayla knows about it. And uh, Kelly and them are out on, they're the slackers that are out on, uh, you know, think it's vacation time just because it's Labor Day. It, it
2: like sure. Okay, so if you're a woman and you don't have a Bible study to come to, Please, please come, because this coming week, we're starting a brand new series, and it's on Revelation, and it's going to be awesome. I got the materials, and it's basically, like, the best Bible study ever, because you don't have to do homework the week after, or the week before, or whatever it is. So, you your homework is, like, just, it's just better, okay? But also, we're watching, we get to watch a video every week, which is always my favorite kind, but anyway, it's, it's going to be really good, and it's on Revelation, which is a tricky topic. So we've been really looking around for a really good one, and I think we've found it. So if you, if you want to do the Revelation study, Tuesday night, 7 o'clock, and we're back. What do you call that room with all the books? Library. In the library. <laughs> and I'm not really leading it, so if that comforts you at all.
1: All right, all that knowledge in the library back there. You women come and enjoy that. Let's stand. I'm going to... Yes, sir? Oh, first Monday prayer? Guess what? It's going to be first Monday prayer on the second Monday because tomorrow is Labor Day and everybody needs a day off from all their hard labor because I know Pastor Mike's in labor every day. So... uh, But anyway, please come the following Monday. We'd enjoy to have you here at 7 And uh, you don't have to pray, you know, you pray, but you don't have to pray out loud, you don't have to be called out, we won't make an example of you and laugh at you or anything like that, so please come, it's a great time. Uh, But let me say a blessing as we leave. May the Lord bless you and keep you, may the Lord shine his face upon you and give you peace. And all of God's children said, Amen. Amen. You're dismissed.